Welcome back to the Everything That Came Before Grace podcast. I'm Bill C. We move on to Chapter 4, and we're still in the college years. It's October 1994, and Benjamin and Anna have been dating for a month now. They've gone ice skating, and they've roamed the aisles at Skylight Books. They've shared spaghetti at Palermo like the scene in Lady and the Tramp. They've gone to Zanku Chicken and to see Pulp Fiction, and took a romantic walk along the Santa Monica Bluffs. All the while, Keith keeps asking Anna out. In this chapter, Benjamin and Anna are on the way to see the premiere to Shawshank Redemption, but traffic is beastly, and they call an audible. Benjamin drives Anna up to Mulholland Drive, a favorite spot of his, where they look out over all of L.A. Anna asks Benjamin three questions that are prescient, and then they take the next step in their relationship. Remember to check out the Everything That Came Before Grace Spotify playlist with all the songs name checked. There's a whole bunch in this next chapter. And check out the website and subscribe to the podcast and all that good stuff. And so let's just get started. It's chapter four, Born to Fit Inside Me. Chapter 4, Born to Fit Inside Her, October 21st, 1994. After that first night we spent up on Sand Mountain, Anna and I start hanging out constantly. For our first real date, I take her into Hollywood for Zanku's Chicken and to see Pulp Fiction. On our way back to the dorms, she's raving about the movie as we listen to the Ronettes' Be My Baby from the mixtape I made her called Love Is All Around. Love Is All Around. Be My Baby, the Ronettes. Love Is All Around, Husker Du. Ain't No Mountain, Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell. Best of My Love, The Emotions. Crazy, Patsy Cline. Your Silent Face, New Order. This Will Be Our Year, The Zombies. Loving you is sweeter than ever, the four tops. She's a mystery to me, Roy Orbison. You are so beautiful, Joe Cocker. Lorelei, Cocteau Twins, and one for my baby, Frank Sinatra. I can't stop thinking about that dance scene, she says, getting animated. It was so perfectly campy, like a combination of eight and a half, and I can't think of it. It's Fred Astaire and Sid Charisse. God, I can't remember. You are an old film buff, I say. Come on, she says. Uma Thurman is seriously Barbara Steele in Eight and a Half. Well, you'll have to show me, I say. There's a great revival house close to campus called the New Art. I'll keep an eye out for it. Later, I'm kissing her goodnight against the door to her dorm. I'm just starting to float off when she pulls away and blurts out, The bandwagon. Come again, I ask. That's the movie I was trying to remember. Really, I say, rolling my eyes. Sorry, she says. Kiss me, you fool. 
The next week, I take Anna ice skating at the Culver Ice Arena on Sepulveda. We hopelessly try to stay upright, but end up pulling each other down over and over and laughing our asses off. Afterward, we take a long drive deep into Hollywood so I can show her my favorite bookstore, Skylight Books, on Vermont. We browse for hours, taking turns holding up books and asking each other from across the aisles if we'd read them. Me, no to A Wrinkle in Time. Her, yes to The Outsiders. Me, yes to The Bell Jar. Her, no to Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. We then stroll up Vermont, holding hands, and stop to eat at Palermo with its classic red leather booths and red checkered tablecloths. We cozy up, sharing spaghetti, looking like we're in that classic scene from Lady and the Tramp. The next week, I spot Eight and a Half is playing at the New Art, so I take her to see it so she can show me the dance scene that reminded her of the one in Pulp Fiction. Of course, she was right. After the movie, we take a walk along the bluffs overlooking Santa Monica Bay. A family of raccoons hiding in a hollowed-out tree trunk spy on us as we kiss under the bright moonlight. It's a perfect moment, and I almost tell her I love her, but don't want to scare her off, so I swallow it. Keith keeps asking if I've slept with Anna. I tell him we haven't, but I admit I'm in love with her. I guess that's not good enough for him because he keeps asking her out. I can't shake this feeling I'm out of my depth and the pixie dust will wear off. When I'm out with Anna, I see the way guys look at her and then they look at me and they're like, no way. I keep thinking at some point Anna will notice all the cracks I've been hiding and move on to someone else, like Keith. The next Friday... Anna and I are in terrible rush hour traffic on our way to see the premiere of Shawshank Redemption at the Cinerama Dome. Hey, you want to go to Mikey's Halloween party, I ask? When is it? Next Friday. Hmm, can't, she says, checking her makeup in the side mirror. What's up? I'm going to a screening of the French Connection at the AFI. William Friedkin is doing a Q&A about the new director's cut. Nice. How'd you score that, I ask. Keith's taking me, she says, quickly adding, it's not like a date or anything. Does he know that, I say? I told you, I friend-zoned him, but he's in three of my classes. What am I supposed to do? A student body of 40,000 and he can't find anyone else to ask out? Benjamin, the jealousy thing? Not attractive. I roll down the window and ask the guy in the car beside us, am I crazy? My beautiful girlfriend here thinks it's no biggie. The campus pretty boy keeps asking her out. Benjamin, stop, Anna yells, punching my arm. Come on, he's not that bad. He got you those Rams tickets. Kick the shit out of those jugheads who harassed us at Smalls last week. Yeah, it's just, he's always showing up, tagging along with us to the movies. And whenever I meet you for lunch, there he is walking with you, getting all chummy. I mean, seriously. Do I have anything to worry about? No, she assures me. Baby, I'm yours. It's just, he's such a beautiful specimen, I say. What are you talking about, she says. I'm just saying if I was a chick, I'd do him. Well, just make sure you use protection, she says. We keep inching along sunset, and as we pass the rock and roll Ralphs, I say, I don't think we're going to make it to the movie in time. 
Let's forget about it, she says. Just take me to another one of your favorite spots. Yeah, I say. I know a great place to see the whole city. She gives me a thumbs up and turns up the stereo. It's I Am a Scientist by Guided by Voices. I turn on Highland, pass the Hollywood Bowl, then hang a left on Mulholland and follow the road as it snakes into the Hollywood Hills. I pull over and we get out. I grab an old blanket from my trunk in my boombox. We hop a fence and walk down the steep dirt path through the darkness. Is it safe here, she asks, as she takes my hand to keep her balance. Always been for me, I say. Oh, bring a lot of girls up here, do you, she asks. Come on, I told you, I'm not that guy, I say. The trail levels off and we stop. I put down my boombox and spread out the blanket. We take a seat and lean back against our elbows, marveling at the millions of shimmering lights spread out across the city and beyond. Boy, you were right, she says, leaning in to kiss me. The view is amazing. This is one of my favorite places, I say. I like to come up here and listen to music and think about who's down there dreaming in those houses. I need to take you up to Twin Peaks, she says. Best place to see all of San Francisco at night. I start loading a CD, and she asks, So what do you have to play me? I call this mixtape Late Night Longing. Listen to the distant sound of the piano and the smokiness of the voice on this first song. I can tell it's Dylan, she says, listening for a moment. What's it called? Temporary like Achilles, I say. Listen, you can tell he's standing in that same place he's been so many times before. Waiting. Longing, wanting her so bad, but he keeps getting sent away. You just love music, don't you, she says. Kerouac said, the only truth is music. Music is my North Star. In hard times, we used to turn to the poets and painters and singers and songwriters to guide us. We need to get back to that as a society. I don't want to even know people who don't use the arts to understand life. It's like... A total red flag for me. I just love hearing you talk about that stuff, she says. I look over at her. She's looking at me like I've always dreamed someone would. It's like this last vestige of a creator, I add. What do you mean, she asks. Well, the only concept of a god I can get my head around anymore is in the beauty of the arts or nature. I mean, how arrogant to think the great songs or movies or paintings aren't colored by something beyond ourselves. She sits up and says, Yeah, well, that sounds good, but honestly, I'm done with God. Just too much evidence he or she or it or whoever doesn't give a shit. Good people forced to live on the street while liars and cheaters get away with everything. Sorry, I'm just over it. I get that, I tell her. All I'm saying is... How do you explain the magic of the Northern Lights or the genius of Da Vinci or Beethoven? Even Dylan said he couldn't explain where his songs came from. So if even he admits it's not him, who is it? I just think it's a crazy paradox to think the same God that sits idly by and allows innocent children to be killed is responsible for the Mona Lisa or Moonlight Sonata. I don't know, I say. It's just, I listen to certain songs, and I sit there just stunned because I can't understand how they even exist. 
And all I can say is, thank God they do. So I can't explain how or why the innocent suffer at the hand of the same God that helped create something so enduring and beautiful as God only knows. I mean, let me make you mixtape to show you what I mean. Well, I love your mixtapes, but don't expect me in church on Sunday. Noted, I say, already starting to think of songs I want to put on our next mixtape. So what's a red flag for you, I ask? People who don't have dogs, she says without hesitating. Anyone who doesn't have some kind of pet is definitely lacking some humanity. I knew there was a reason I liked you, I say. This is the first time I've ever lived without a dog, she says. I'm dying. Yeah, I would have gone nuts without my dog growing up, I say. We should get a dorm dog, and we could all help take care of the little guy. And if that idiot R.A. tries to narc us out, we'll just throw him down the trash chute. She laughs. There's just something about dogs, she says. I told you how single-minded I get, like having to be a lawyer. But whenever I see a dog in need, it snaps me out of it, makes me feel the existential suffering in the world. Like the other day, I walked down to the village to get a Didi Reese cookie, and I saw this old dog with its legs collapsing. And his owner was holding up the dog's back end so he could pee. And I stood there, staring at the dog's eyes, then the man's eyes. So sad and resigned. All day, I couldn't stop thinking about it. I knew that man was going to have to put his dog down. Interesting, I say, stroking her hair. But what if being a lawyer isn't your calling? What if it doesn't fulfill you or give your heart what it really needs? I don't know, she says, looking off. I guess we'll see. You must have had other dreams, I say. Yeah, of course, she says. My earliest memory was standing on a stool in our kitchen, watching my mom make fresh pasta. I used to watch Julia Child on TV with her made me want to be a chef. Then remember I told you watching old movies got me into fashion? I actually wanted to come down here and go to Otis College of Art and Design, but my mom kept telling me to be more practical. It's not too late, eh, I say. I mean, we all make these big pronouncements before we go out into the world, and then we get there and we feel tied to it because we've said it so many times to so many people. Before long, it's like, who are we even doing this for? I can't jump ship now, she says. But why, I say. I mean, what about doing what you need to do for you? Benjamin, just don't, okay? All right, all right. We go back to listening to Dylan for a minute. So I have a few questions, she says. I need some background information. Is this something you do with all your boyfriends, I say? Never mind that, she says, shifting onto her side to face me. Okay, all-time favorite movie. Easy, I say. The Graduate. Best ending of any film ever. She smiles. The total now-what moment, right? Exactly, I say. So, what's yours? Mm, Probably Splendor in the Grass, she says. I'm a sucker for a tragic tale of a love that can never be. I've never seen it, I admit. Benjamin, I'm concerned, she says. Sorry, I say, showing mock embarrassment. Why is it your favorite? In the movie, Natalie Wood's mother is so controlling and oppressive. 
It's that whole generational puritanical mentality. God love her, but that's my mom. Drove me crazy. I really identified with that whole struggle to fight the sexual repression so prevalent in the film. I can't believe you haven't seen it. I was good for eight and a half, wasn't I? I say, just take me to see it. Okay, okay, she goes on. Question number two. You have one dinner with anyone in history. Who is it? Only one? God, well, okay, I'd say J.D. Salinger. What would you ask him, she asks. Mm, I've always wondered, after he stopped putting out books, how he reconciled the call of the muse with the need for outside validation. Mm, a writer's answer, all right, she says, studying me. So for me, I think I'd have to go with Catherine Hepburn. I thought you'd say Gloria Allred or Sandra Day O'Connor. Right, she says. It's just I have so many memories watching her movies with my mom and thinking what a perfect combination of a fierce independent badass with such a vulnerable romantic heart. I probably wish she was my mom or that my mom would be inspired by her. I can see that, I say. So let's have another one. Okay, it's a two-parter, she says. You find out your best friend is cheating. You're secretly into his girlfriend. Do you tell him you know, and do you tell his girlfriend? Hmm. Well, there's no black and white answer, I say. Too many factors go into it. I disagree, she says, sitting up. It's very black and white. You cheat, you get outed. Casualties be damned. What's your answer? Come on. All right, hold on, I say a little flustered. Let's see. Okay, so I'd tell the best friend, but it's on him to tell his girlfriend. Even if you were into the girlfriend, she asked, sounding surprised. Well, if I tell her about him cheating, even if that breaks them up and opens the door for me, then I'm doomed as the rebound. She'd eventually resent me for breaking them up, and then everyone suffers. Hmm, she says, thinking. I'll accept that, for now but it's only because I want you to stop talking and kiss me. I like the way you think, I say, moving in to kiss her. Benjamin, why haven't you tried to sleep with me, she asks. Guys are usually all over me from the word go. It's just been so good with us, I say. I didn't want to scare you off. Benjamin, if you want me, you can have me, she says, moving closer. Yeah, I ask. Please, she says, pulling me on top of her. From there, it's just bits and pieces. I remember Just Like Honey by the Jesus and Mary chain playing as I fumble with the condom. Anna says something sweet and sexy, which helps, then I go inside her. It's a blissful trip into the sublime, and I never want it to end. But I'm green and dying with pleasure, so it only lasts a few minutes. After, I'm still on top of her, and we both break into huge, toothy grins. Sorry for it, you know, not lasting very long, I say, but it's your fault for being so sexy and beautiful. It's okay, she says. I'm going to want a lot more of that. I start to move, and she grabs hold of my hips with both her hands. Don't go. Just stay right there, she says. I'm not going anywhere, I assure her. Benjamin, you were born to fit inside me. I rest my forehead against hers and say, 
and we were born with magnets inside our hearts. It was just a matter of time. Do you love me, Benjamin? Oh yeah, I say, and it's bad. Say it to me, she coos. I love you, Anna. I fucking love you. I fucking love you, Benjamin, she says, starting to well up. Hey, I say, dabbing at the tear going down her cheek. Are you okay? I'm just so happy, she says. Well, what are you trying to do, I say? Make me fall in love with you forever? We just lay there looking up at the stars until it gets late. We pack everything up and start the climb back up the steep dirt pathway. I take her hand and say, I guess just like honey will always be meaningful now. What? she asks, looking over at me. That's the song that was playing when we were making love. Of course you'd remember what was playing, she says. After I get back to my dorm, I stay up until dawn making Anna this mixtape to show her the songs that just can't be explained. Songs of Wonder Hole of the Moon, The Water Boys Listen to the Lion, Van Morrison Rhapsody in Blue, George Gershwin Bargain, The Who God Only Knows, Beach Boys Take Me to the Water, Nina Simone The Maker, Daniel Lenoir Oh Mary, Don't You Weep, The Swan Silvertones Ocean Rain, Echo and the Bunnymen Waterloo Sunset, The Kinks and Oh Happy Day, the Edwin Hawkins Singers.